0: You open up your Bibles to Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. It's Matthew 13, verses 1 to 23. If you don't have your Bibles or your apps, I think it's on the screen as well. This is the Word of God. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 18, Then the parable of the sower, oh, hear then the parable of the sower. This is Jesus still speaking. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the seefulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case a hundredfold, in another sixty. And in another thirty, Spirit of God, let's pray. Lord, I pray that he who have, he who has ears to hear, would hear your voice through your word with lasting impact. Speak to us, O oh Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as a means introduction, who here, if I say green needle versus brainstorm, you know what I'm talking about. Anyone? All right, it's the, it's, Maybe the Gen Zs, not even the Millennials. Well, you know what? I didn't know about it either. Just found out about it, but it was uh, a controversial, a very divisive uh, TikTok thing that was going around. So I'm going to play the clip for you. So there's going to be a a thing on the screen. So it says, I know, I don't know how they messed it up, but it should say brainstorm versus green needle. So I want you to listen to this clip. And then let me know if you heard Green Needle or Brainstorm. 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 Start right there. Brainstorm. Who heard Who heard Green Needle? Okay? Who heard Brainstorm? Okay, so something's wrong. Okay. All right. Now Everyone, close your eyes. Close your eyes. All right. Can you play? It? Brainstorm. Brainstorm. Okay. Now, who heard Green Needle? Who heard Brainstorm? Okay. This time, look at the screen. Look at Brainstorm. Brainstorm. Okay. Just look at Brainstorm. Can you play that. Okay, who heard brainstorm? Who heard green needle? Okay, this is the last one. Focus on, so look at green needle, okay? With your eyes, look at green needle, but as much as you can with your head, try to think brainstorm. Does that make sense? Let's try that, all right? So look at green needle, but you're thinking brainstorm. Thank you. Thank you. Who heard Green Needle? Who heard Brainstorm? All right. Who here raised their hand for one time it was Green Needle and another time it was Brainstorm? Yeah. All right. Well, I did a thorough research, meaning I did a Google search, from what I could gather about this thing. And turns out it's just a bad audio clip, somewhat ambiguous. So what the brain is essentially doing is trying to make sense of this. Like, what is this? And it is making an attempt to best fit between what you're hearing and what you're seeing and and all that. It's trying to make sense of it. And even by us visually focusing on the word, we're then conditioning our minds to pick up on one versus the other. I think someone said, you know, this shows that it's, our, our, our brain is, is really just doing, it's just making its best guess. Wow. But I would imagine the way you heard it, you definitely heard either brainstorm or green needle, right? There's no saying that, no, that's not what I heard. But we have two people that heard something different, a group of people that heard something different every time, right? Hold on to that, we're going to come back to green needle and brainstorm, but uh, today's text, Matthew thirteen, is the parable of the sower. And who here is familiar with Jesus teaching in parables? I, I know that I know that Jesus taught, teaches, continues to teach us in parables, right? Who's heard of the parable of the sower? As we read today, the parable of the sower. Right. As we dive into this text, I think there are two strong I don't know if they're just, temptations that we want to. Kind of be mindful of, be aware of, not fall to. And one is that a parable like the sower is one that we can be quick to use as a diagnostic tool to assess other people's spiritual condition and their hearts before we self-examine to look into a mirror. That's one. So you're hearing before you think, ah, this person is this, this person's this soil, this person's that soil. Let's see if we can be quicker to self-assess the condition of our own hearts. But second, in our self-assessing, right, as we look into the mirror and see like, oh, what is God trying to teach me through this word? Let's not overthink the different soils and the categories. And as we quickly jump to conclusion about other people, let's not jump to a quick conclusion about ourselves. And what I mean by that is we're quickly go down this trail of doubt. And, oh, am I, am I even a Christian? Right? While I, I believe that this parable, certainly the, the primary, um, it's primarily about a regenerate heart. Because those who have regenerate hearts, those who do not. Matter of salvation. At the same time, I, I think it can also be applied to different seasons that we go through as someone who has a regenerate heart. So my hope is that this parable, as we go through this parable, that God would speak to us, that we would have the ears to hear. That we would have the ears to hear. And to not hear me as much as you would hear God in his word. So, before we actually dive into the parable of the sword, we see in, in, our, um, in, our, in our passage that Jesus actually explains and tells us why he even uses parables. This is actually a pivotal point in his ministry where he mainly teaches in parables. What actually is a parable? A parable is, is a narrative, it's a saying, it's a story of varying lengths. And they're designed to illustrate a truth but it's supposed to point us to something else. Right? So it's not reading and understanding the parable for the sake of understanding the parable and, and, and cultural nuances and about agriculture. It's supposed to ultimately point us to something else. It's, a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I don't know if you've heard that. So you know today and certainly the, the following weeks in Matthew 13 we'll be looking at the different parables of Jesus and and when Jesus says he who has ears to he who has ears let him hear and actually in Mark's account it says he who has ears to hear let him hear i think it's getting the same thing Jesus is also fully aware that there are those who do not have the ears to hear the truth about Jesus and his kingdom And to those people, the secrets of the kingdom, understanding, they are concealed. And only to those who have the ears to hear and the heart to understand, the same truth spoken to those who do not have the ears to hear, for these people, those truths are revealed. And it goes back to our green needle and brainstorm exercise that we can have a whole group of people that are listening to the exact same thing but hear it differently based on, and regarding the parables, the condition of your heart. And it's no coincidence that Jesus' method of teaching through parables in chapter 3 comes right after chapter 12. We we saw... uh, Jesus said in, in, in 12, verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. He says that there are good trees that bear good fruit, bad trees that bear bad fruit. And at the end of chapter 12, I believe it was Pastor Charles that uh, preached on this message, Jesus calls the disciples that he was teaching, they were his people, right? They were his mother, his brothers and sisters. When he had his birth mom and brothers that were, standing outside of the house. you said that is those who do the Father's will are his brothers and sisters and mothers. So you're either with Christ or against him. You are either a good tree or a bad tree. There is good fruit and bad fruit. You're either part of God's eternal family or you're not. You either have the ears to hear, or you don't. So Jesus' use of teaching through parables is to ensure that that the secret of the kingdom, our understanding of the gospel and his word, would be revealed to those who do have the ears to hear, and at the same time concealed to those who who do not. Mind you, this whole time, Jesus had been been performing miracles and teaching. But did the people, did the crowd really see Jesus for who he said he was? Or were they just wanting to be healed? Right? Looking for a miracle, another piece of bread. Or did they have the heart, the ears to hear in a matter of that would change their lives? I think we've seen some examples of that, but for the most part, they did not. We see the Pharisees. By this point in his public ministry, now we're seeing more hostility growing in hostility, plans to destroy Jesus. There are those who have the ears to hear and those who do not. And that's why he taught in parables. So now that we've looked at Jesus' use of parables, we can now dive into the parable of the sower. In this parable, we have three kind of main things, characters, right? There's the sower, there's the seeds, and then the soil. Okay. There's the sower, the seeds, and the soil. Who is the sower? What do we know about the sower? Well, we know that he sowed the seeds. In our text, that's about it. So he, the sower sows the seeds, is what we know. But the sower, you know, in our text, we don't see a whole lot. He, this is God who reveals his word. This is God. The sower is God who reveals our word. It can also be a person who is delivering God's truth. The sower. The seed. Well, the seed is the word of God. It's the word that the sower delivers. It's the word of God. It's truth about God as it is revealed in the scriptures. You can also say, I know in Patrick Lee's Sunday School uh, lesson a few weeks ago, talk um, about know, preaching the gospel to yourself versus God's truth, you know, God's word. I think here interchange we could say that even the gospel. How um, the seed is the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the soils, what are the soils? The soils, this is where the seed lands. And so how the seed grows or doesn't grow becomes the litmus test to how good the soil is. This is the condition of the heart. How a person responds to the word of God, to the gospel. How they hear and understand the word of God with their hearts. How it registers in their hearts. How it impacts the way... You live your life. Not just kind of overall like, oh, you know, I follow Jesus very broadly speaking, but even in specific moments, specific times, certain seasons of life, even then, how does it impact the way you're living? So that's what we got. So we're going to look at the four soils, the four soils. The first soil is the hardened path. And when the seed landed on this hard soil, this path, it obviously couldn't take root. It was exposed out in the open. just so that the bird came and devoured it. So this hardened soil represents the heart that simply rejects God and his word. This heart rejects God and his word. And such people with this heart condition not necessarily are hostile. They can be, but it's not necessarily hostile towards God and his word. They may even say they agree to certain things about God and his word, that they care about truth, that they're after truth. They even say they believe in Jesus. But the reality is this person has a heart that is not interested and certainly not affected by the word of God. It doesn't care, it doesn't care to actually pay attention to what God the almighty creator, the holy judge, has to say about himself, about us, and this world that we live in. Doesn't care. The person might even be an expert in the biblical languages, can fluidly quote scriptures and have it memorized, chapters and books at a time, but they live as if they have never read it or heard it. Because they're not reading as They're not reading God's word as the living word revealed to us by God. They hear but do not hear. They're not shaped by his word and you do not submit to his lordship. Now, such a condition of one's heart can be caused by many things. They say, you know, a path like this would have been at one point just part of the field. But as people stepped on it over and over, it got hardened. So yeah, I think even life circumstances and experience could contribute to a hardening of someone's heart. But ultimately, it's our sin. I know it seems a bit too simple, but it's just that simple. It's our sin. Those who reject and have a lack of care for God and His word do so because of their sin. In Romans 1, famously, Apostle Paul writes, but the ungodly who, despite God." very plainly, clearly having revealed himself to them, but by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And they become futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts are darkened. But in addition to our own sin nature, our own blindness, our own deafness, we don't want to forget that there is an enemy that is at work. The parable says that the bird devoured the seed. And Jesus says that it is the evil one who comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul affirms this point that Satan is the one who causes the blindness when he writes, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, is it the sinfulness of man? Is it the work of the enemy? What is it that causes a hardening towards God and his word? All you the above. Both, right? There's an enemy. There, there's a real enemy that steals, kills, and destroys. But they also don't want to make light of the responsibility that we have to take for our own sin to really, truly repent of that and to submit to Him, to submit to our Lord. Do you hear? Do you have the ears to hear? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned from your old ways? The second soil is the rocky ground. Now, when you see, think rocky ground you're like me, you might be thinking, it's just like pile of dirt or soil and there's a lot of rocks in it, but the idea is more so that there was like a bedrock and then a thin layer of soil on top of it, right? So yes, there could have been rocks, part of that as well, but more than like a big mix of rocks, it was like there's this hard bedrock and then a thin layer of soil on top of that. And so the sea quickly sprouted and when the sun came out, the heat scorched it and it quickly withered away. This shallow soil represents a heart that initially shows signs of regeneration. And Jesus says that this person seems to have shown signs that they have received the word of God as they immediately receive it with joy. It's an, definitely there's emotion involved. There probably was a public profession of faith. Maybe baptism. Baptism confession of sin public confession of sin and even to be able to clearly articulate the gospel there's an eagerness a willingness uh, a desire seemingly to serve to sacrifice to be very active in the church all signs all right signs of someone who has repented of their sins and believed in the gospel yet when they face when they're faced with tribulation or persecution for believing in God's word. As quickly as they said yes, they say no to the word of God. And they fall away. The word translated as fall away, I think in most you know, most English translations, the word translated as fall away in verse twenty-one is the Greek word scandalizo. Does it sound like a word that you know? Scandalizo. We see the same verb back in chapter 11 where Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by you. It's the same word. So scandalizo can also mean to take offense. I think this adds another layer to what it looks like to fall away. Those with the heart of shallow soil fall away because they are offended. They are offended because the painful experiences don't really match up with what they initially signed up for. They feel deceived and betrayed by God in His Word. And it's not because God is the one who is doing the deceiving and the betraying. They quickly fall away. And they're quickly falling away in the case that their profession of faith was not genuine. It was superficial. It was only good until life was good. But because... God's word did not deeply take root in the person's heart. The person was unable to persevere, to cling on to his word during those challenging times. And their inability to persevere proves to show that what seemed to be a promising life of a follower of Christ was nothing more than a facade. Harsh word, I know. It's like Flowers that you pick at our garden, or if you're like me, you maybe some of you know my affinity, with Costco. So you go to Costco, and you can get, get flowers. And you bring that, you know, and you put in, you come home, put in a vase, and wherever, that's a sweet spot to put a thing of flowers. And it looks great, right? brightens up the room. In a matter of days, it quickly withers, and it begins to rot. First John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been with they, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it may be complained that they all are not of us. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not promise us a life absent of pain and suffering. He really doesn't. If you hear otherwise, that's a lie. For one, we live in a sinful, broken world. So until Jesus returns, until our faith becomes sight, as we sang, until there's no more tears and pain, no more mourning and crying and suffering and death, until that day comes, we're going to experience these things. I'm sure every single person here, and maybe to varying degrees, has experienced some of that, if not all of that. Financial hardship, Relational strains, whether that's between husband and wife, parents, other family relationships, friends, maybe in the church. um, Death in the family or close friend. Illness, chronic illness or injuries, as we saw with beloved pastor. And the list goes on and on. Maybe you're experiencing all of that right now. I don't know. But in addition to the pains that stem from just us simply living in a broken world, Jesus also made it very clear that those who are his disciples will suffer for his namesake. It's not a matter of if, but when. You may experience some name calling from people that you don't know. I don't know maybe we get canceled on the internet. But it could be something a little more personal, like losing a friend, family member, whole family, or standing up for the truth. And let's not forget, there are millions and millions of people around the world that actually put their lives on the line to gather. It really is a privilege for us here in this country to be able to gather as we do every Sunday, for every prayer meeting, for every um, men's and women's ministry gathering. We get to do that. There are a lot of people that it's not guaranteed that they're going to make it out of that unharmed or alive. That's what persecution is. Being persecuted on count of His namesake. But immediately after saying that you will be hated by all for my name's sake, Jesus says in the same breath that only those who endure will be saved. Those who endure will be saved. And Paul writes in prison to the church in Philippi, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to completion at the day of, at the day of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, we, we must, we must God's word must take root in our hearts. And this does not mean, to be clear, that you had to have been a Christian, you know, or to be a professing Christian for that matter, for a certain amount of time in order for the, the, the roots, to, for it to take root. However long or however short amount of period that you have been saved, when the word of God takes root in your heart, it will, it will shape and impact your life in a way that enables you to persevere during difficult times, trying times. Yes, those who are among the fold can wrestle with doubt, ask questions. I think we've seen plenty of that in the scriptures. So the question is not whether or not we have the questions. The question is, where do you turn to to find the answers? When the roots are deeply sunken into our hearts, we're pointed back to his word. We're reminded of his power, his sovereignty, his goodness, his ever-present help in times of trouble. Ever-present help in times of trouble. That should be a comforting word. and his unwavering love for his children, especially when tribulation and persecution arise. Jesus says in John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So my question to you, brothers and sisters, friends, does this word abide in you, and has it set you free? Do you rest on his sovereignty, his power, his glory, his majesty, his goodness, and again, his ever-present help in times of trouble, his unwavering love? Or are you so tunnel-visioned to only see the challenges that you're facing? And do your trials turn you towards God or turn you away from him? The seed of the word of God must take root in our hearts. The third soil is a soil with thorns. And when the seed, the same seed, when it falls among the thorns, it sprouts and probably grew, but the plant, the crop, the flower got choked out by the thorns. It also shows that it never bore fruit. This thorny soil represents a disloyal heart. It is disloyal because its priorities are all out of whack. Jesus says in his explanation of the, of the parable that this is a heart that is similar to the shallow and superficial heart in the sense that it shows signs. It shows signs of hearing and understanding God's word. But because of the cares of the world, because of the deceitfulness of riches, For this person allows too much space in their hearts with such things. When your heart should be, when our hearts should be fully occupied by God, who commands his people to not be anxious and repeatedly warns them against treasuring of riches. I think what these things are, that the cares of the world, the riches. I think you can even safely say that they're the idols in your life. So, my children, upstairs in Sunday school, I have a question for you. you. Guys, ready? I have a question. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting. Trusting in created things, created things, rather than the creator. try one more time. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting, trusting in created things, created things. Rather than the creator. You guys are acting so shocked. But anyways, that (laughs) is what we're doing upstairs. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. I think we could say those are the things that could apply to the cares of the world. The riches that we treasure. The riches are deceitful in the sense that it promises a security which it cannot deliver. It's like the grain that sprouted, maybe even grew, to give this false impression that, oh, come harvest time, we're going to see some fruit. But it ends up getting choked out by the thorns. And another way that the riches are deceitful is that the choking is gradual. The choking is gradual. You guys seen like videos or maybe in real life a a python or that that kind of slowly wraps around its prey. You see initially the 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 prey kind of wiggles around until it realizes like, oh no, I'm done. I I I can't get out. Zapped of the strength, unable to fight back, and yes, at the end gets devoured by the snake. Is a snake, python, same thing? Any the snake. Um, and this gradual choke of riches is deceitful because it, it can go so easily undetected. It goes undetected because we are quick to excuse our treasuring of riches. I'm not rich. Me? No, I'm not rich. Those people that drive those cars... Live in those neighborhoods, have this much money in their bank account, where this you know, name brand, clothes, have everything that that's the rich man, not me. And the problem is we begin to assess how we deal with how we steward the resources, the money, the time that we have. We start to assess that. In comparison to others, rather than, again, just looking into the mirror. Do I even believe that I've just been entrusted everything by God? Because it's all God's. How am I using that? How am I maybe idolizing some of these things? Rather than using them for the purposes of the kingdom. We cannot take lightly this call to detect the deceitfulness of riches. Because next thing you know... It's going to be too late when you realize that you've been helplessly wrapped around that python that's going to choke you out and devour you. And given that this is a slow, gradual choke, it would be wise for us not just to reflect on this morning, yesterday, this past week, but months, years, because maybe, maybe, You look back at your life five, 10 years ago, and you compare yourself today. Maybe you're saying, what happened? How did I get here? I used to fill in the blank. I used to. But what happened? And you don't realize that you got to this point because it was a slow, gradual choke. And I just pray, brother and sister, maybe you're at that point, maybe you're close to that point where it's, too late. I pray that it's not. I pray that this is a moment you can, still, that you can still get out. Such cares and troubles of the world aren't just referring to material goods and possessions, but it's anything and everything that distracts us from glorifying, trusting, submitting to God in His Word. And that's what we need to remember. Yeah, let's take a hard look. In our, into our own hearts and our lives. What are the thorns that are maybe overtaking the garden in the backyard? These are things that are, again, competing for space in our hearts. And by doing that, it starts to muddy our judgment on how to properly prioritize how we need to spend our money, use our time. Use our resources. How we think about the world—it starts to muddy our judgment because, again, a heart that needs to be completely occupied by God is running out of space because of the other things that have crept in and are, and are trying to box out. Um, Short—I I don't know when it was. Some sometime this, this maybe in the spring or the summer. I can't remember. Mat, what, I can't remember when, but. Tina and Gabby wanted to plant sunflowers, so they did that on the side of the fence where we had some a little bit of dirt. And uh, they did that. I was super excited to see sunflowers. I think it was I don't know how day the next day. Then we saw like a bunch of sunflowers, the, the shells. So it looked like the, the squirrels had gotten to it. Super disappointed about that. It's like oh, okay, you know, fine. we can go plant some more sunflowers seeds. It. No big deal. Waited after I don't know how much time had passed. But if you're like my backyard, sometimes you let the, you know, the grass and the weeds kind of grow, go tall. And uh, he's not the good husband that I am. I said, you know what, I'm going to start pulling out these weeds on the side of the fence. So I pulled them all out. It's all nice and clear. Yeah, Tina and Gabby were not happy when they came home to find <laughs> that I had pulled all the sunflowers with the weeds. And, um, yeah, <laughs> They' not, they're not happy about that uh-huh. So I say that. I give you that illustration to say. even our being able to properly prioritize properly prioritize and, and see this world clearly. it helps when you can pull those things a little earlier so that you can identify what is of importance and what is not, right And if not. Sometimes we led to the devastating mistake of pulling the sunflower seeds out of your backyard. Can you identify these thorns? And if you can identify them, are you willing to pull them out? Friends, we, we can't live like this world is our eternal home. We can't. We must pull out the thorns in order for the seed to bear fruit. And as Jesus said in his explanation of the parable, the seed sown in thorny ground, it gets choked out, and that proves to be unfruitful. And if we don't pull out these thorns with a sense of urgency, desperation, we may find ourselves in a place where God's word doesn't just carry less weight than he used to, maybe it doesn't carry any weight at all. Again, I hope you don't get to that point. We started off going over the parable of the sower saying that there are four different types of soil. But the reality is there are only two types of soil. And this connects back to Jesus' use of parables. There's bad soil and there's good soil. There's soil that bears fruit and soil that does not. So, the three soils that we saw, yes, in different ways, but it's all bad soil. The danger with the second and the third, the, the one with the shallow soil and the, the one in the, the thorny one, the danger with those two are because there can be a false sense of security because one did sprout, there was some initial growth. But ultimately, what good is a plant or fruit or if there's no if there's no fruit. What's the point? It's like if I had a field of crops, right? corn a corn field I, don't know, I had a whole field of corn, but there's no corn. Or if I had a, an apple orchard? Just really healthy trees that are vibrant colors. But there's not a single apple to pick. It's either you bear fruit or you don't. Well, what does this good soil look like, man? I think one way to answer that would be, it's not what the bad soil looks like. It's the opposite of that. So first, it's soft. It's soft enough where it can be actually sown. Right? It is also deep enough so that the, it can take root. Right? So there's depth. And last, it's soil that is constantly tended to. It's tilled. There's good nutrient soil. There's the thorns and the weeds have been pulled out early, not later. And if all is done right, we can expect that at some point we should see some fruit. And Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, I think you guys also went over this during Sunday school last week or two weeks ago, that bearing much fruit proves that they are his disciples. So how do you know we are Jesus' disciples? If we're bearing fruit. Well, what does bearing fruit look like? Well, we could spend several weeks on just that, right? Probably the whole thing of like, what, is, what does it mean to, to bear fruit? To mention a few, a few things I think would be helpful for us is one. Yeah, it is to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word, right, James? Someone said that it's it's what you seek, see, and say. What you seek, see, and say. Yeah. So how we speak matters. I think we talked about that as well. Uh, I think I think it was recently. Um, how, how we how we speak matters. Not just. Amongst people, but even about people, matters. Have you repented of your sin? I mean, do you have you truly mourned? Do you and do you still continue to mourn your sin? Do you have a life consistently of meditating, studying God's word? You pray in by yourself, but with others. Do you pray? Do you take your life cues from Scripture and not from the world? Resisting temptation from the enemy. like One commentator points out that it's it's progressively releasing the forces of the three things. Guilt, fear, and greed. And it certainly means to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know those, it's probably a you know, very familiar verse, many people have, but like, you know, we go through so quick, and it's just a matter, of, like it's a matter of fact. But is there love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? Do you have that in your life? It means to speak the truth in love to those around us, to stand to contend for the faith as we've been talking about in our Jude series. Simply bearing fruit is, as as Pastor Charles said, it's growing in our Christ-likeness. It's growing in our christ Now, maybe you come to this point and you're discouraged. Forgot I was like, hey, don't be, don't, don't, don't resist the temptation. But maybe you're discouraged. Because you don't see that kind of fruit in your life right now. Maybe you've gone, almost gone down that rabbit hole. It's like, whoa, am I even a Christian? Again, to be clear, I believe that this parable primarily speaks to one who has a regenerate, fruitful heart or one that does not, right? It's a matter of salvation. But I also believe we can confidently say that it speaks to as well. The different Seasons of life as someone who is of the full. And that means, even as God-fearing, sin-rejecting, Christ-trusting and following people, you can go through some difficult seasons. Because if you're thinking that you being a Christian means you're going to live your life perfectly, well, that's heresy. There are going to be ups and downs in life, certainly. But again, going back to our experiencing trials and persecution, really difficult things, the question is do you turn to the scriptures or away from it? My guess is as we went through the three different bad soils, all of us could identify with at least some of it, if not all of it, that we've experienced some of those things even after we've professed to follow Christ. If that's you, probably all of us, but if you see yourself actively, eagerly, willing to seek and hear from him through his word, that you mourn your sin, your desire is to be impacted by the word, then you can be rest assured that Jesus will finish the work that he started. At the same time, if you are wrestling with those things, whether that be understanding scripture or going through trials and and persecution for following Jesus, being consumed by the cares and troubles of the world, or maybe even being a victim to the, the the deceitfulness of riches, whatever the case may be, that's you. I also caution you from abusing the fact that we are all a work in progress and use that as a crutch to excuse your unwillingness to pull, to prune, and to trust in his word. Let's not use our disobedience as a crutch, but run to the cross. Cry out what, what the said. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I know it's been a weighty message, a lot of personal reflection to do. And, you know, whether you are still hearted, completely reject God and His Word, or someone that is one of God's children, but going through a difficult time, there's hope. There really is hope. But there's hope in Christ. Our only hope is in Christ. We have a divine sower. You no, know, earlier I said, the, the the, our passage doesn't tell us much about the sower. But well, we have a divine sower who is more than capable of breaking up those hard soils as hard as it may seem. Amen. That can replenish the soil so that it's deep enough so that can, the seed can take root. And a sword that can rid of us of the nastiest of thorns and weeds that no one would want. You know, it's, it's one of those, you've seen those videos uh, where a, a, a guy shows up to another person's house and they're willing to like, you know, do their yard work. And it's like, yeah, no one wanted to mess with it. I could pay him all the money and no one would mess with it. Even that house, that heart. You have a, a sower that's willing to pull and to enable us. To do that work because there's no such thing as a soil that magically appears, it has to be made. There's work that is involved, there's sacrifices that we have to make. We have to be doers of the word, and to be shaped and impacted by his word means that we do have to be immersed in it, we need to know it, we need to wrestle with it, ask questions. Ask yourself. Let's all ask ourselves, now why do I struggle with... Them? Why do I, let's say, struggle to read God's word? Right? What are the changes that I need to make in my life? What are the changes and rhythms I need to change in my family's life? How do I need to prepare to come to worship on Sundays? To receive God's word. But ultimately, ultimately, we trust in the supernatural power of God to replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. Again, however hard that heart of flesh may feel, he gave us that heart of flesh. Only he can give us that heart of flesh. And in his, his righteousness, the word of God, Jesus Christ, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And he will ensure us that our hearts will be ready to receive his word. Not because we did anything. Not because we're good inherently. He reveals to those who he reveals. So I ask you today, do you have the ears to hear? Can you rest on the fact that the work of regeneration is not by our own doing, but the supernatural miracle done by the Holy Spirit? Who continues to dwell in our hearts if you are his. What separates the good from the bad soil is whether or not the seed bears fruit. What's the condition of your heart? Do you have a hardened heart? Do you need to repent of your sins? Do you recognize the apathy towards God and his word? Repent and believe. Do you have the shallow soil that's already showing signs maybe falling away? Turn. Repent. Believe. And are you at that cusp of getting choked out? I was at a Jewish competition with with Gabby. Are you about to get, are you about to tap out? Turn. Turn. Repent. And believe. And in that good soil, when the seed is sown, it will bear fruit. One hundredfold. 60 fold and 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear.